I, I don't know what it is. I enjoyed, of all the classes, I enjoyed going to math class. I usually like the teachers. Uh, I like the concepts. I, I, you know, I enjoyed math. I liked how um, concrete it was. And as much as a person can like doing homework, I enjoyed doing math homework. Um, now, I wasn't so weird as to get excited about homework, but it was, of all the homework assignments, I could do math. And, and I don't know what it was about math that I really enjoyed, but it was probably that early on I, I took to the concepts quite well. I was able, I was one of those fortunate people that I didn't have to struggle that hard at learning math. I was fortunate enough to kind of pick it up pretty quick. But even as I got older and as I took math classes year after year and hours of math and math homework and all these things, math moved from something that was purely academic to something more internalized. When I would approach math, I didn't have to approach it as, okay, how, what did the teacher say I need to do to add these numbers together? I could just look at the number and know the answer. I could look at complex calculus equations and just have them in front of me and be able to say, okay, it's 4x plus 3. I could understand what the graph looked like in my head. It was natural. It was a part of me. It wasn't something I had to force or something I had to make up. It was easy. Now, that is not the case at all. That is, it is so sad when Melissa and I will be at home playing like Uno or Dominoes or any game where we have to like keep track of the score. I'll be sitting there and we'll be counting the scores and she'll be like ready to deal out the next hand. I'm like, hold on, babe. Carry the one. Okay. And, okay, I got it. Oh, I messed up. Like I said, I'm so bad now. I'm so bad. It is, it is pretty, it's amazing what 10 years of no math experience will do. Math has moved from something that was so natural, so internalized, to something so heady. When I approach math, I have to do it academically. It's not a fun experience, even. I think for a lot of us, our relationship with God is similar. I think for a lot of us, when we approach God, we know a lot about God. We've been taught things. We've learned things. But it's academic. But when we think about God or when we approach God, we're not approaching him out of our experiences, out of what we've internalized. But we approach God out of what we know intellectually, academically. And I'm not the only one that thinks this. There was a pastor that wrote, and I really liked what he said. He said, most Christians know about the love of God. Like a kid who's taken driver's ed, but never gotten behind the wheel. Most, most Christians, and I would count myself in this sometimes, know about the love of God like a kid who's taken driver's ed, but never actually gotten behind the wheel. There's a disconnect between knowledge and experience. And it's not that knowledge is bad. Knowledge is incredibly foundational. You need knowledge. You have to have something to build upon. But if I'm being honest, there's got to be more to faith than just knowledge. I feel like something's lacking when all I do is approach God intellectually. When I worship out of what I know rather than just who I've experienced or who I understand him to be, something's missing. And again, I don't think I'm alone in this. Last week, I sat in the back for both services and sat through both sermons. And Drew said something incredibly profound in his sermons that both serv sermons, or both services, 
everyone looked up. Everyone looked up, and most people were, were nodding. There was some connection he made. If you remember, Drew was talking about Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. In that passage, we find that God has taken us from a state of death, where we were nothing, where we, we, we didn't have any abilities or actions. I mean, I don't know the last time you went to a funeral, but you don't see that guy in the grave rolling over very often. They just lay there. They're inactive. And God has taken us from this state of inactivity, inact what he, he dubs death, and brought us to life. And Drew went on to explain about this life that God offers us, this invitation we have to life, and how cool and sweet and amazing this, love, this life is. And then he stopped, and he, he looked up from the podium, he looked at us, and he goes, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't always feel that alive. I intellectually understand that God has offered me life. I intellectually understand that this life God offers me is incredible. But it doesn't match up with my reality. It's not matching up with what I'm experiencing. And it was that that resonated with the crowd. We, I'm including myself in this, we're nodding along with him. We're like, yeah, something's wrong. This, there's got to be more to life than this. It can't just be that we interact with God intellectually. We have to be able to interact with God on, on more than that. It's got to be in our, It's got to be more than just intellectual. And what we're going to see today, what we're going to see today is Paul says there is. There is. It's not just about what you know, but God wants you to know Him intimately. Personally, deeply, and not just know him, but specifically know his love. Passionately, experientially, personally, in your hearts. So that when we reflect on God's love, we don't have to talk about what we know to be true of God, like intellectually, but we can talk about this is how I've experienced the love of God. And with that, I want to invite up Stephen Lynn to read for us today. He's going to read out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. If you want, go ahead, grab the Bibles, open it up. It's on page 812, I believe. Ephesians chapter 3, thank you. It is 812. And I'm going to grab my Bible with you. Smooth move, drummer. Our scripture today comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 can be found on page 812 in your pew Bible, as John said. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with his power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to start in verse 14. So keep your Bibles open. We're in verse 14. 
Paul starts with, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. For this reason. Before we go any further, it's important for us to recognize where this passage falls in light of the book of Ephesians. Okay, if you were to go home and read Ephesians, you're going to notice something very different about chapters 1 to 3 and chapters 4 to 6. In 1 to 3, Paul spends an incredible amount of time telling us who God is, what God has done, what God is like. There is nothing in chapter 3 where Paul says, now you go do this. There's nothing about do's or don'ts in chapter 3 or 1 to 3. The whole part is Paul saying, I want you to understand how good God is, how much God has done for you, how incredible God is. And then he switches in chapter 4 and he goes, now now that you understand who this God is, what this God has done for you, I want you to have, this is how you respond, church. It's important to note, chapters 4 through 6 are where the do's and don'ts don't come in. A lot of times when we think about the Bible or we think about when we read the Bible, we go, oh, man, it's just chock full of all these do's and don'ts. God's a total killjoy. And I work with students. I can tell you this. When they come to church and I meet them and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't, God tells me I can't have sex. That's lame. God says I shouldn't go out and get wasted. This is dumb. How dare this God? He can't tell me what to do. It's in there. It's absolutely true. The do's and don'ts are not, are in there. But the do's and don'ts are grounded, founded on what God has already done for us. The do's and don'ts are are merely what follow. If you understand what God has done for you, how can you not want to live this way? That's kind of how Paul puts it. It's not a guilt trip. It's a pathway. Okay, so this is the way you do it. And where chapter 3, where we're at right now, this comes at a very interesting thing. What you're going to notice if you go back and read this is one to three and a half, you know, the middle of chapter three. It's like I said, he's just telling you this is who God is. This is what God has done. This part, though, Paul goes, yeah, knowledge isn't enough. I don't want you just to know about God. I don't want you just to know that you're saved by grace. I don't want you just to know God loves you intellectually. I want you to experience it. I want you to feel it deep down. I want you to make a passionate connection with God. This is the prayer that Paul offers to us. And it starts and it has two petitions. His prayer says two things. The first thing his prayer tells us is that God desires that we would know him intimately. Again, not intellectually, intimately. That we would allow God to take root in our lives. To be the center of our lives. The core of who we are. The second thing Paul prays is that we would know the love God offers us. And that we would know this love, again, intimately, passionately, experientially. So we're going to start in verse 16 with the first petition. And as I said before... What Paul is going to tell us is that he desires that God would dwell within us deeply, deeply. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray 
that he may strengthen you with power in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Inner being, hearts, okay, this is a Jewish concept. We have a little of it in our English language. But when the Jews are talking about our inner being or our hearts, what they're trying to get at, what Paul is helping us to understand is that is the essence of who you are. Your heart is the core. It's your personality, it's your desires, your will, your emotions. Anything else that makes up the center of what you are, that's the heart. And what Paul is praying is that God, Jesus specifically, would take root in your heart. That he would set up shop, create a permanent dwelling. That he would nest there. That he would have control. And in taking, becoming the center of your life, what that means is you submit your will. You submit your desires, your emotions, your personality to the lordship of Jesus. Okay? That affects who you are and what you do. Let's get a little more concrete. I think this is a little abstract. Okay? This idea of inviting somebody into your life on that, or on that deep of a level... I'm going to pick on Drew this service, okay? I may know a lot about Drew. On paper, I can tell you Drew is fantastic. Not only is he a guy who truly desires to follow the Lord, has a passion for his church, is good to his friends, is loving to his girlfriend. I could go on and on about Drew, just because I know this about Drew, I know this to be true about Drew, doesn't mean I'm going to let Drew into my life. Doesn't mean I'm going to bring my junk to Drew. It doesn't mean I'm going to lean on Drew for wisdom or for advice. That's hard to do. That's vulnerable. But what Paul prays is that we would have the Holy Spirit's power, the ability to let God in on that level. And the way we do that is through faith, by faith. Last two words of the sentence. I, I don't like the word faith. The high school kids can probably tell you this. I, I don't like it at all because it's too ambiguous for me. Fortunately, the word better translates, in my opinion, trust. Trust. And the reason I like trust is I know what it means to trust somebody. I've seen this. I can experience trust. I know that the way I trust Drew is by bringing my junk to Drew. By trusting Drew with what's going on in my life. And more than that, I trust Drew by taking his wisdom, his advice, and applying it to my life. Living accordingly. And what Paul prays that we would do with Christ is that we would have trust in him. And in trusting in him, he would take root in our lives. So practically speaking, how do we trust Jesus? How do we do this? We all desire to know him intimately, personally. We, don't, we all, I think we can agree on this, don't just want an intellectual faith. We want to know this God. So how do we do this? Paul says it's by trust. Here's two ways you could trust Jesus. Two ways. And I think one, we do really well as a church. We do really well by bringing our junk to Jesus. I think we're really good at this. This is what we do when we pray. We tell God what's going on in our lives. Usually we bring the junk, the bad stuff, the stuff we don't want other people to know, and we go, God, I, I'm laying this here. I, I don't want this. Please take this off of me. This is good. 
But it's not just the bad stuff Jesus invites you to bring. Like my relationship with Drew, I don't just bring him my junk and go, there you go. <laughs> I bring him all of me. I bring him the funny stuff. The stuff that's kind of quirky about me. The jokes that I think of while I'm driving. All sorts of stuff. If I'm proud of something that happened in my life, be it my kid or, I don't have a kid, be it your kid or my wife or my job or something else, I bring all of that to, I bring all of that to Drew, share it with him. And we do the same with God. You don't just bring your junk and go, there you go, and walk away. He wants all of you. So tell him your jokes, even if they're not funny. He's going to think they're funny. Okay? Whatever you got. So that's the first way. First way we can better know Christ by trusting him is to be willing to trust him with our stuff. The second way is far more difficult because it's going to require you to step out and do something. The second way we know Christ or we trust Christ is by learning what he says and following. Jesus says we are to pick up our cross and follow him. Pick up our cross and follow him. All this really means is we need to learn what he said is the best way to live. When we have that foundation, we then go, okay, you said so. I'm going to try and apply that to my life. So again, let's give some concrete examples. We know in the Bible stealing is bad. We know it's bad. We know it's wrong. I don't think many of us rob banks on a regular basis or steal candy from babies. Um, wow, there is a lot of silence there. Maybe some of us do steal candy from babies. That's uncomfortable. Stop that. Um, they're just babies. But I think one of the things, and especially to this generation that's present in here, the thing that is most prevalent, and we, most of us do this, I would say, especially if you're under 40, steal music. You're like, well, I don't walk into Best Buy and steal CDs. You're right. You don't do that, hopefully. But you may download it. And you can justify it all you want. But, but according to the record industry, according to the government, it's stealing. You're taking money, revenue, out of the pockets of the artist. It's stealing. So what does it mean to trust Jesus? Maybe it means deleting, your, deleting all the stuff on your iPod. Maybe it means just stop downloading new stuff. I don't know. Whatever it is for you. And here's how that's trusting Jesus. We believe, we believe that Jesus has given us all that we need. The jobs, the money, the finances that he will be able to provide for us. If we go above and beyond and steal, we're saying what you gave me was not enough. I don't trust you to take care of me. I don't trust you with all that I have. So we steal. That's what stealing is. So if you want to figure out how do I trust Jesus? How do I know him better by trusting him? Follow him. But it's not going to be easy. While we're talking about money, let's, let's go for it. How are we doing on tithing? How are we doing on giving our money to God? Let's be honest on this. And I, I am right here with you. I feel this struggle, this temptation to control my money, to pay all of my bills, and then give the leftover to God. When the Bible's very clear, we do the opposite. We don't give out of just our excess. We're supposed to give sacrificially. 
We're supposed to give in a way in which it's hard for us. Where we have to go, God, I'm, I'm trusting. I'm not going to be stupid and throw it all away. But I need to be, I, I, you know what, God, this is going to be hard for me to give this much to you. But I trust that you're in control. That's what we do when we tithe. We're committing our lives. We're trusting Jesus. We're following him. That's how you're going to get to know him. If you're looking for more examples, just read four, five, six in Ephesians chapters. That's where, he, again, Paul is going to tell you more things. And you're going to read it and you're going to be like, oh man, this stinks. <laughs> Paul's such a killjoy. God's just mean. No. You're missing it. What God has done for you is incredible. How can you not want to do this? So the first thing Paul wants us to understand, the first thing Paul prays for is that we would know God. That we would allow Christ to take root deep in our lives. Not just intellectually, but experientially. The second thing Paul prays for us, as we're going to see, is that we would know the love of Christ and that we would know it intimately. Both intellectually and personally. And that's where he says in the second half of verse 17, he says this. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. His first thing he prays for us is that we would grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of God. What Paul wants you to understand is the love of God, the love God has not just for you, but for each of us, regardless of what you have done, where you come from, is incredible. It is unfathomable. It is not like human love at all. It's not dependent on what it gets out of it. It's constant. If anything, it's an overwhelming Love, it's like, okay, a little too much love here. That's this type of love. And one pastor put it, and I really like the way he said this. If we are to understand this love, we need to understand that this love is wide enough to welcome anyone anywhere. This love is long enough to stretch from the beginning of time, follow it through to the end. This love is deep enough to reach down and scoop up the filthiest of sinners. And this love is high enough to take us into God's heavenly kingdom. That's the love Paul is saying you don't get. The title of the sermon, Your God's Not Big Enough. This, this is really where it comes from. I think I understand God. We do this. We're going to do this our whole lives. We put boundaries on how we understand God. And then he's like, oh, nope, you missed it. It's a little bigger. What Paul is trying to go is, yeah, don't even try and put boundaries on God's love. It's crazy. It's huge. And then he follows it with, I don't want you just to understand this. It's not just cool that you have fun playing in God's love. And like, oh, well, that's fun. This is great. It's like a wonderful world of Disneyland that never ends. And you frolic in God's love intellectually. That's not what he's saying. Where everywhere you go is a new world. No, he's not saying that. What he is saying is, I, I want you to experience this. Not just in your head. I want you to feel God's love personally. God desires that you would know him, that you would feel his love. This love that sent him to the cross is the love he desires for you, not just to know about, but to feel it deep down. 
When we have done these two things, when we understand these two things, that we are to know Christ and that we are to experience his love, Paul says, then we will be, let me make sure I read this correctly. I keep tripping up on it. That you may be filled to the, full, the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's a really weird wording. What he's trying to get at is when you understand these two concepts, to know God and to know his love, only then are you going to be able to live the life God intended you to live. That life Drew talked about. That life we all long for. That life we're all like, yeah, I really want to get that. That's the love. That, that's the life. This is how we do that. I'm not going to read the last two verses. I'm not going to read the last two verses. But I will say something about them. Because we're going to read them as a benediction together. These two verses, you just get the image. If you read through chapters 1 to 3... You don't get the image of Paul just sitting there in his little prison cell, jotting down or like, you know, sitting there mumbling, and God loved us. Praise be to the God and Father. Yeah, this is good. Now to him who is able. That's not what you get. If you read it, you can understand each argument Paul asks, each thing he teaches us, builds. And you just get this image that he he bursts forth at this point in his message. He bursts forth as he's sitting there writing this letter. I can't contain it anymore. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask, imagine, or think. To him be the glory. You just get this image of, I can't do it anymore. And then it's funny. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. He goes, as a prisoner of the Lord's sake. You just know he did not follow that benediction, that doxology, and then just go, okay, let me transition. He probably had to step away. He's like, whoa, man, did you get that? That is amazing. And then he goes back and he's got Tychius right in there and he's like, all right, let's do this as a prisoner for the Lord's sake then. This doxology that Paul bursts forth with is steeped in an understanding, one, of who God is intellectually. But this is the praise of a man who also internally understands who this God is. This is the praise of a man who has experienced and seen the love of God. That's who this is. Last closing thought. A pastor said once, and I really like this, the test of your theology, the test of your theology is not in what you say, but in how you pray. The way to test what you know to be true of God, theology, what you know about God, is not in what you communicate to other people. Not in your ability to go, oh, I've heard this about God, and I've heard this about God. Well, well I have heard this as well. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, it's in how you pray. When you go before this God and bear a request, that shows you what you think of this God. Go back and read Paul's prayer. This guy knows this God. And the thing that I find incredible and encouraging is that he invites us to do the same. Will you pray with me as we take our offering? Jesus Lord, thank you. When we thank you, 
for what you have done for us, what we know to be true of you. That you loved us so much that you sent your son here to pursue a relationship with us and to ultimately die for us a horrific death. But Lord, most of all, I thank you for your spirit. Your spirit who comes to minister to us so that we can move beyond the intellectual nature of our faith and experience you in real, personal, passionate, deep ways. But Lord, I pray that we would have the strength of that spirit this week. As we go, Lord, may you continue to draw us closer to you. May you continue to to help us to understand this love intellectually and deep down. May we see it in our lives. And Lord, may we, like Paul, be able this week to pray to you who are able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. According to your power that is currently at work in our lives. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.